Hi and welcome to Authorise, the podcast where writers speak. My name's Kevin Hillier. I speak to those writers and I'm very happy to introduce you to a person who has written her second book, but it's her first published book. It's called The Wakes. The author is Diane Yarwood. I think you're going to love this chat I had with Diane about this book, about her writing experience, about the, the whole experience of being an author for the first time, about finding that author inside you. Everyone, you know, that famous old expression, everyone's got one book in them. But finding that sometimes for a lot of people is really, really difficult. And for some people, it never happens. We'll talk to Diane about how it happened for her and uh, how she's uh, come to have this terrific new book called The Wakes. That's coming up. Thanks, of course, once again to our fabulous podcast partners, CSCG. Now, if you're looking to shore up your financial situation, whether you're maybe downsizing your house and you, you need to move some money around somewhere, you need to find some money from somewhere, uh, I don't know if they can help you find money, but I'm sure they can help you manage the money that you have and uh, the assets that you have and what you want to do with your life. They'll help you set your financial goals and then they'll help you go about achieving them. They're very good people. They're terrific to deal with. Jump on the website, cscg.com.au, see who you're dealing with, and then give them a call and have a chat, Double nine seven four eight triple three. They're great people. You'll love dealing with them. Diane Yarwood is on her way to becoming a very, very much talked about author. The Wakes is paving the way for that, so let's find out all about the book and the lady behind it. Congratulations. Uh, first novel, is, is the experience living up to expectations? It's exceeding it, to be honest. Um, You know, there were some sort of fairly anxious moments in the editing and just leading up to the release because it still didn't feel very, very entirely real. You can overuse the word surreal, but it really did feel like that. I'd wake up every morning and think, really? You know, after all this time. And, but when it hit the shelves and I started getting responses and um, friends have put parties on for me. My whole suburb is just <laughs> a buzz with it. Um, it. It's even better. I think uh, I, I wrote for so long on my own and, and I, for reasons I can't even begin to explain, I didn't let anyone read it. I rarely talked about it. I think I was a bit embarrassed about whether I was actually doing anything worthwhile and would people think I was a bit silly sitting in my room year after year and so I didn't even really talk about the content too much and now um it's such a community thing it's just yeah it's it's joyful it's yeah. exceeding everything everything I dreamt of that's lovely so so, gonna... so when did the, if you if you had to go back and find ground zero Ooh. or day one when was day one of uh, of of writing this starting to write this book I, I don't think I can actually nominate day one it, it all the writing process for me the dream really uh resurfaced I, I i dreamt as a teenager writing a book english was something i just adored and i i did i was you know quite a natural at creative writing at school i, I could feel how naturally it came but um my mother died in my final year of school and it felt like the ground had gone out from beneath me so i was also quite good at economics so i went down a sort of a safe route because I had to support myself. I knew I had to do that from that year onwards. And so um, I did economics and I worked in accounting and the dream really sort of left. I don't really remember thinking about it too much. And then I had kids, I became very busy and then I became very sick. And when I nearly died when I was 40 and I I really did accept I was dying, it just really came to me uh, the regret. Uh, that I hadn't ever tried. And and having researched death for the book, apart from telling people they love them, that's the most pressing thing for people when they're dying. The other thing is to 
the regret of the thing they wanted to do or how their life they thought they would, the life they thought they would have. Yeah. It's this regret of that one thing you think you could be able to do but you didn't give it a go and that for me was writing a novel. So, But I didn't actually start this book. I, I, I started... I mean, I wrote a film script in my hospital bed. I was in hospital for a week and I wrote a little script for my brother-in-law's 40th birthday video that I did, so I started writing immediately. But that could have been it because I had a lot of steroid on board. (laughs) My creativity was going through the roof. She's already blaming the drugs. Um. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, And then I started writing and I was an obsessive cook, so I started writing a cookbook with a bit of a journal attached. Then I gradually worked out I preferred the writing so then I wrote a book which sits in a drawer and then I started the one that I've now published. So it's hard to point pinpoint a time, but that's sort of the journey yeah. of the book. Yeah. yeah. Was was the idea for this book in your head before you, you got sick and before you you made the big life change in terms no, of No, no, no. No, the, the idea for the book came from that, really did come from that yeah. uh, experience of being sick because I, I've got this rare autoimmune disease that, so, that attacked my adrenal glands. So life was gradually sort of seeped out of me over a period of a year. But when I was diagnosed in hospital, the treat, it's a chronic disease. I, I still take Medicaid steroid. Addison's. Every day. Addison's disease. That's yeah. right. I'd like to shout out to Addison's disease because the diagnosis is still missed because it's so rare and, oh, okay. and the um, symptoms could be quite a few things. But um, the, the treatment was immediate. I, I went from being in a fetal position, accepting I was dying, to being injected with intravenous steroid and back to life. And it was that feeling. And I, when I sat down to write, that was the thing I knew I wanted to write about. I somehow wanted to express in novel form, in story form, how I felt. That feeling of isn't life amazing, isn't life precious and fragile. So... Um, when not so much the cookbook, but when I sat down to write a novel, even the first novel was an attempt at that. But that was I sort of taught myself to write with the first novel, but that was attempting to do the same thing as I've done yeah. this one. So it was always life and death. I always I went big. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, we we all talk about you know taking life for granted and taking things for granted, exactly. but. It's until you get put in that position that uh, that's when you really actually understand, I think, and and the depth of what that actually means. Yes, uh, it's it's visceral, and you do, yeah. it will never leave you. I actually thought, oh, I'm, I, I saw on the television this morning on ABC Breakfast Radio, they were interviewing a fellow who had a shark attack and a surfer, and who was told he would never walk walk again. And but he now looks back. I don't know how. I didn't catch how many years it's been since the shark attack where. He was severely injured, but he now says that was the best thing that ever happened to him. And and I thought that's that's exactly how it is. It's, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, it just, it, it yeah, it's it's no longer theoretical. You 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 know it. You you know it's short. You know that round the corner anything can happen. So it, it gave me courage that I didn't have. I I think I was worried about writing, thinking what have I got to say, and I thought well. So what? What have I got to lose now? <laughs> <laughs> so. Did did the book come easily in terms of did it pour out of you? Was it an easy process to write it or, or did you have dry periods or how, how did that work for you? I didn't ever have dry periods, but I wouldn't say it, it did sort of pour out of me, but I, I, I've read where writers say, oh, I wrote it, I sat to write, sat down to write and the novel was fully formed and out it came in a year and I thought, oh. <laughs> yeah, it practically, <laughs> How lovely would that be? I love the expression, it practically wrote itself. No, it didn't. I know. 
<laughs> no, I mean, what a dream. No, it didn't. And um, uh, no, I, I always knew the beginning and the end. That's never changed. Okay. But the middle, wow, that, that you know, the characters sort of evolved. Uh, the timelines had to be worked out. Um, no, no. And uh, I also, you know, in the book I there's humour and there's also grief, so it was also balancing those. But my, my, the writing comes quite naturally to me, but I'm not a, I'm not a great planner. My, my husband's a consultant and he um, would always say to me, now, do you have a plan? Have you got it on a whiteboard or a <laughs> flow chart? And I'd go, and I'd say, oh, no. So I just tend to write uh but I learned a lot. I learned a lot in, with the first book. One of the big things I've learned is to write naturally about the characters and not and because I like humor a lot. A lot of funny things have happened in my life, and, and I like and they stick in my mind. And, and in the first book, I think I shoehorned funny things in. You know, oh, this is so funny. Everyone needs to know about this. And I've learned that that's not what you, you, that's just not good for a book. Yeah. So I would write, and and if something funny came to me naturally, I would put it in, but, um, and it's with the second book, this book that's being released now, I learned also that I could uh, trust my imagination. So it's it's almost all fiction, whereas my first attempt had a lot of me in it, a lot of real life in it. Yeah, and, and I guess you're, you're working without a net and, and uh, mm. the, the whiteboard is your mind. And, mm. where, and where it takes you is is often far much more fun and far more interesting exactly. than, than what you'll get on a whiteboard when you go through a planning sheet and a, and a bureaucrat helps you get from A to B. Exactly. Because exactly. you're not going from A to B. You're going from A to Z to X to Y back to B. That's right. And and also I'd, I'd stay in the shower sometimes and it's just some come to me, oh, that character wouldn't have said that or they wouldn't have done that. So off you go in a different and you become closer and closer to your characters and they become, real. you know, the, by the time I finished they were just, Still, I miss them. They're, they're so, they are people. And when I did the final proofread, I sat in my family room with them saying goodbye, so, you know, not out loud. Yeah. But, um, and, yeah, I could still imagine them living now. It's, it's yeah, it's really lovely. Well, it, it, takes on, it takes on a life of its own, which is a, a really, a really uh, amazing thing, really. Mm. Mm. How much? How much about uh, the structure of the book and uh, and the the storyline? Do you want people to know before they actually pick the book up? I don't. I don't really need them to know anything. Um, I think. Oh, in terms of me now. Um, yeah. Okay. So the structure is: it's set around a cluster of funerals uh, that occur in one spring in Sydney in two thousand and eighteen, pre COVID, and. It's a story, so a small group of strangers. Uh, it's sort of told from multiple points of view, these these different lives that gradually increasingly intertwine during this, uh, connect, this series of connected funerals. And we follow these characters. They're in their mid-40s. They're in the middle of their lives. And when we meet them, their lives aren't what they thought they'd be. They're, there's a couple of marriages on the brink of collapse. Uh, two of the women, there's three main characters, two women and a man, two of the women are funeral caterers. They meet, they form a friendship a little way into the novel and and one of them talks the other one into helping her in a funeral, a fledgling funeral catering business. And that as a, as a structure allowed me to 
take you into funerals in the heads of two people who aren't grieving. It's, it sort of normalises death, which is what I wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, we don't talk easily about death, even though it's something we're all going to do. And I wanted to show you death and what what being around death can do to how people see their lives and it, and, and it gives choices meaning. And, and so these characters who aren't happy uh, sort of gradually change. So I won't tell you how, but... Mm. The funerals have quite an impact on them. And then there's an emergency doctor and he, so he sees the deaths, he connects the, the, the funerals are connected by him. He goes to the funerals, whereas the funeral caterers are at the wakes and their lives intertwine. And the novel also, it's important, uh, it opens on the eve of a very big funeral for a woman, an English teacher, and she sort of represents life and uh, we know she's died and she's died in unusual circumstances. So that's another, it's a bit of a mystery that unfolds as to what actually happened. We, we get to know that two of the characters may have been involved and aren't saying more than not saying everything. So yeah. I love a little bit of a mystery. Yeah. So. Um, really interesting characters with, with great depth. When they're playing around in your head, is, is, there, a, is there a dominant character? Is there a, is there a leader of the pack? That, that sort of formed in your head or did it did it well in the beginning in the beginning there was Claire one of the funeral caterers she was the leading one in my head really and then I loved why writing the male characters so the the doctor sort of started uh Chris he started to sort of come forward but then Louisa <laughs> he's the she comes into the novel as the other funeral caterer and she's just a lot of fun but quite a complicated character and so then she came up. So they really know the three. And then another character arrives a bit later on and he has a real presence. So no, 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 no. I love them all. And they all, I think, have a prominence in their own way. Yeah. Did you, did, did, did you find difficult working the relationships out and how, how that was that one of the big challenges of, of, of kind of writing this as it went yes, along? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Because um, their interactions, it's very much a character-based novel. Uh, I... I, I I've got feedback that people do feel this way. I, I want you to be right in their lives, right from the beginning, really. I, I want you to be feeling what they're feeling and, and I, I just plonk you right into this period in their lives. And um, it was very important to me that it feel very real, that you, if you didn't feel real, you wouldn't feel that emotion. I wanted you to feel that they feel and at the end. So that did take a lot of work. It took a lot of refining. I, I very much see novel writing as... At like almost a sculpture where you sort of get this outline of your picture but then you refine and refine and I did a lot of self-editing. I, I love language. I love word craft. So I, I can spend a whole day on a sentence. So, so But that was also part of, uh, and dialogue. I, I tend to say dialogue a lot to myself. So I wanted the dialogue. <laughs> yes, my poor family, I sort of leave our lives when I'm writing. I, I'm totally in Dialogue's a really interesting thing because you can get too clever with it, or you can be really, mm. really trite with it. Um, mm. Is that is that mm. is that something that you kind of thought? Oh no, I've tried. I've tried to make you know Claire here sound. She's not that intelligent, or she's not that clever mm. with words, or she wouldn't have thought that. Is that is that that's a real balancing act too, in a way, isn't it? Oh, I think it's vital, vital. So you you, you can't have a character sprouting information like a lecture because that just isn't how it works and you can't and you want them to yeah to me it, I have to feel that it would be a com when it's the two women it'd be a conversation I would have with my friends 
um, the emergency doctor. It's a bit of a love letter to emergency doctors because an emergency doctor saved my life and yeah. I just in awe of what they do. And it, it, I have a friend who's an emergency doctor, so I spent a lot of time with her because I wanted the doctor's interactions to just have a succinctness about them that's real. It just like there's one with the, a bit of a cut finger and a friend of mine said, I was there, I could see the blood, but that required just the amount of information a doctor would think. You know, a doc, if you're in a doctor's head and someone's got a cut finger, they wouldn't be thinking through the procedures. They'd just be saying certain things. So, yeah, yeah I think it's that succinctness and, um, yeah, the not lecturing. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, what's, and, what's this book taught you? What's the process of writing this book taught you for future projects? It's it's taught me possibly to plan a little bit more than I do. <laughs> I think quite a lot of, you know, killing your darlings, quite a lot of stuff that I spent a lot of time on just isn't in the book. Um, so planning without without over planning. So, so uh, that's one thing. I think I spent a lot of time self-editing and now having gone through the editing process with a major publisher, I've realised there's quite a lot of time spent at in editing when I can refine then. Um, so, yeah, I probably wouldn't self-edit as much. I still would self-edit, but not as much as I did. But th I think that's part of a debut. I, you, it, part of the reason it was picked up was it was in such a good state when people read it. Yeah. And maybe I had to do that, I don't know, to, to be picked up at my age as a debut with no connections. No, I, I didn't do a writing course. I did, wasn't in a writing group. I had no writing connections whatsoever. So maybe I had to do that. But... For my next book, uh, I won't be doing that. Again. But you clearly have a natural affinity to to writing and expressing yourself in a way that's very easy to read and uh, mm. and and has has a lot of depth about it. Yes, the easy to read uh, is an interesting one. People are almost reading it too quickly. They say they want to. It's so it flows so much. They're sort of trying to slow down. I've got a girlfriend who read it and now she's rereading it within a week um, to appreciate the language because she went and. What it was, one of the reviewers referred to it as uh, deceptively simple um, because it wasn't simple to write. So I have a, uh, I think I did a, I did accountancy. Uh, I do love maths. I love patterns and I played a lot of piano. I went quite a long way with piano. I love music. And they're all, so I write quite rhythmically in my head. And so with the book, when the, with the refining, it, a lot of it was the rhythm. So I would be reading something I'd written because one of the publishers, I think it was the publisher at Penguin, said to me, there's something just trying to describe the writing. Um, that, she said there's a lightness to it. And so if I was reading one of the passages I wrote when I was editing and, the, and, and I'd stop for a reason mid-paragraph, something jarred me. Uh, I think, oh, I've lost the rhythm. So if you write rhythmically, it's a bit more time-consuming because you've got to make sure that's, that that rhythm is ma is maintained. doesn't mean that they're all the same rhythm of the sentences, short, long, mm. but that's my writing style and I think that's what's made it so readable because it, it sort of almost picks you up. Yes, and takes you on this sort of flow of a river. Yeah, that's that's a great way to write. It's a great way to read from from a reader's mm. point of view. That's that's a fabulous journey to be on. That's right. That's right. And I, my UK publisher, when she sent me the letter, when she was interested in it, she said, "You your book has reminded me why I love to read," which is one of the most beautiful things wow. someone can say to you. Wow. And that's why I chose. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, what a that just wow, you know. But um, 
that's, I think, why it's taken me a bit longer. Uh, and and that's uh, people, I don't think, quite understand why they're reading it so quickly. But I think that's it. Yeah. Uh, well, it's like it's, a it's like a it's like a song. Yes. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And there's a lot of songs in it. Uh, I love the emotion that comes with songs and the extra vision you have when you you think of a song attached to something. Um, the publishers have made a Spotify playlist of the book, but my husband had already made one. He was reading it for the second time and he said, I think I'm going to make a playlist to read this with. And, yeah. So. Well, well you've, got, you've got music, you've got all those wonderful, fabulous relationships that, that, that intertwine among it and you put music in there as well. And then just, just, to, just to add another layer that uh, we can't resist, you threw food in. Oh, yes. <laughs> That was always going to be there. So, you know, so if I had any any of the boxes weren't ticked, the, the, the food comes in and then you go, Wooshka, that's it. Yes, 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 yes. Food's incredibly important to me. I said to someone, uh, you know, I once said, I know I'm going to be happy three times a day as a, as a baseline. I love food so much. I, I became very obsessed with cooking when I was home with children. I left my career. I just loved mothering. I, I was just wanted to do it full time because I just loved it. But I needed a creative outlet, so I... I used to go to bed at night and dream about what I was going to cook for dinner the next night, which my <laughs> friends all thought was extremely weird. <laughs> so, um, so that was very, it, it was just natural. that, And plus there's funeral caterers, but I nearly became a funeral caterer. So that was something that came from yeah. knowledge uh, that I just love food. And I think food is such a comfort. And, uh, you know, if, if I've got friends that are unwell or sad or it will be a meal that I will drop over as a gift and I saw cooking as a gift for my family and friends. So it really worked well in um, just the emotion in the book. And when my mother died, because someone asked me about it, is there, was there anything sort of deeper? Why? And I hadn't thought about it until I was asked the question and, and it wasn't anything deliberate, but um, my sister was 18 months older than me. I was doing the HSC and she was at teachers, her first year of teachers college and she took over the cooking for the family and she's an amazing cook and we were a very much a meat and three veg family up until then. My father's diabetic so they were quite, and he, so my mother sort of cooked a lot of the, the food that he would, it was quite plain. Yeah. She's a good cook but it was quite plain but my sister then sort of, got out a little box of Woman's Weekly cards and we were, all of a sudden we were having these like, you know, um, chicken paprika and Spanish steak and this amazing meals. And so in the midst of all our trauma, because we just absolutely adored my mother and we were just bereft, and, but in the midst of all that sadness, every night would be this little bit of joy with this meal and I'm thinking maybe that was just there in me, the, the power of food going back that far. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know. It's not something... I thought of when I was writing, but when I thought about it, I thought, yeah, it was it, it really that was when we first really loved food and it was a comfort. I know uh, publishers uh, tend to, uh, you know, once they get a, a really good book in their hands, they want uh, another 10 versions of that, if you wouldn't mind. So, what, what, uh, what sort of pressure you're under for a second book and how, how, is, how are you sort of handling that? Well, I, I, when they bought the manuscript, I got a two-book deal. Yeah. Uh, I had an idea at the time, so um, I'm working on that now. So yeah. I'm, I've got a year. <laughs> I'm hoping to meet that deadline. So I love writing so much and it will be a similar, it, it's a very different story, I'm, I'm, but I'm going to tackle something big. I think I'm going to tackle something like the meaning of life, uh, another big topic, <laughs> but, but um, a similar 
very, you know, different characters, not the same characters. And that, Are yeah. you a sit down at nine o'clock in the morning and work all day or are you, I find the inspiration, I go for a walk and I come home from that and I'll go bang or how do you do it? Yeah, I got a, I, I had a beautiful dog who died when the 15-year-old Gruda who died the day before my first publisher interview, but I, I got a lot of inspiration walking in the, in reserves and things with her. I get a lot of inspiration in nature and early morning walks. I do tend to sit down as early as I can in the morning. The morning is the best time. I'm not as regimented as I wish I could be. I'd be like, I, I wish I was one of the writers that got up at 5.30 when the house was quiet, but, but I'd love to be doing that in the future. That's a, a plan to try and do that. I, I, the afternoons aren't as productive, but in the last year of the book, I would write all day. Uh, I would write 24-7 if I could. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, once you get your head into it. It becomes pretty. I, I I tend to not let it let it go. I'll wake up at three o'clock in the morning with inspiration, like I've been dreaming it. So it takes over. Yeah. Well, congratulations mm. on your first book. Um, already, I believe, uh, been optioned by a, a television production company or a movie yes. production company. So that's that's a, an exciting experience in itself. But uh, just the, the realization of having this little thing in your in your hot little hands is uh, is is just a, it's a real thrill, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, absolute joy. It's just incredibly satisfying. Well, congratulations yeah. on the book and uh, and, all, and we look forward to whatever's coming next. Thank you so much. Yes, hopefully soon. Been so thanks for having me. Chat. Thanks, Diane. Thanks, Kevin. It really is a most fascinating read with a whole lot of uh, ups and downs and sideways and uh, all the things that you want in this kind of book. The Wakes will certainly deliver it for you. Congratulations to Diane and uh, thanks for her time and also once again to Hashit Australia uh, for setting all that up. Uh, now, where you found this podcast, you'll find a whole myriad of authorised episodes with a whole stack of different authors talking about books, Australian authors, uh, international authors. We've got crime, we've got cooking books, we've got uh, war books, we've got uh, sport books, biographies, you name it, they're all there. So wherever you found this edition of Authorised, uh, you can find plenty more. Until the next time we talk, when I'll have another author to have a chat with, look forward to your company then. And once again, don't forget my fabulous podcast partners. If you're looking to fix up your finances, set your uh, financial goals and then achieve them, you need to talk to CSCG. Double nine seven four eight triple three is their number. CSCG.com.au is their website. Till next time, I'm Kevin Hillier. Take care of yourself. Listener.